For Every End, A Beginning Written by Andy Clark Read by Delio Pera Illuminor Sarah's squats at the heart of a pulse-lit chamber full of ancient, complex machinery. He casts his gaze over the information swirling between two emerald orb sensors before him. It constitutes biomechanical analysis of Ceres's latest specimens derived from molecular dissection and transspectral analysis. One segment of his android cerebellum absorbs the information with what he knows is lightning speed compared to the cogitational abilities of the creatures he is studying. To Ceres, such swiftness is normal. He has thought this way for millennia, after all. Not quite true, he chides himself. Yes, the Illuminor has long possessed a towering intellect. His augmented consciousness has the capacity to turn over fractally complex scientific problems and weigh philosophical conundrums that have obsessed entire planetary cultures. It can do all this while leaving more than enough processing power for Ceres to function, converse, experiment, and even take to the battlefield without breaking mental stride. Barely a step from divinity, after all. Yet, thanks to the generous gifts of his new patron, melded, of course, with Ceres's own scientific brilliance, his thoughts move faster than ever before. The Illuminor flexes his freshly augmented android limbs and stretches himself up to his full newly towering height. Without the unique materials that his patron has provided, Ceres would have struggled to progress with his self-improvement so swiftly. The risk of compromising his physical shell might have been acceptable, but the danger to integrated elements of his personality engram would have been unconscionable. Ceres knows himself to be the most brilliant mind of his entire species, to needlessly endanger the most precious intellectual asset of the Necron race would, of course, be inexcusable. Yet now I am more, greater, he thinks as information streaks through his newly refurbished mental architecture. With such augmentations, he will be more able than ever before to pursue his studies. Surely, at last comprehension of the very deepest secrets of life itself lies within Ceres's grasp. That work must wait, however. The Illuminor has forged a pact with his new patron and must uphold his end of the bargain. In truth, the patron's goals are not so dissimilar to Ceres's own. Furthering his ally's work must inevitably advance his also. Patron. Ally. Ceres knows there are other terms of address for the being with whom he has struck his deal, terms that he should perhaps use. Yet, the Illuminor's arrogance is rooted deep within the labyrinthine architecture of his personality in Grimm. He cannot bring himself to do so. Humility is as alien a notion to Ceres as are biological imperatives such as sleeping or eating concepts for which he has neither use nor capacity. Yet, Ceres also knows that he does not wish to delay his patron's plans, let alone risk failing him. 
I have a reputation to consider, the Illuminor tells himself, as though that is the only reason to honor his pact. Relegating his latest biomechanical calculations to tertiary cerebral partitions, the Illuminor sets his limbs in motion. Powerful, insectile body carries brilliant mind up a gravitational latticeway to a higher platform. Here, a dome-like alcove is recessed into the chamber's wall. The space's physical constraints are cramped, but dimensional regulators adjust its spatial reality to accommodate the sprawling computational arrays and multi-dimensional lenses of Ceres's planar observatory. The Illuminor shoes away several diligent canoptic constructs with a mental imperative. He settles himself before the primary dimensional focusing aperture and attunes himself to its information flow. The data layers itself onto Ceres's perceptions bit by bit. It expands his consciousness by degrees, furnishing him with an exploded spatial viewpoint. The process would burn out the mind of even the most advanced biological specimen. Even the most talented cryptics of his own race would be forced to wrestle with the sheer scope and scale of what Ceres sees. He is no simple cryptic. The very notion. The thought crackles through some small affronted segment of the Illuminor's consciousness. Yet even Ceres has little computational power to spare for such personality-driven feedback, not while examining the dimensional aperture. Laid across the architecture of Ceres's incalculably powerful mind is a sizable swath of the galaxy. He perceives not only the material plane upon which his people exist, but also the energistic infinity that lies beyond it and to which all sentient biological beings are tethered. Ceres even observes the silken skeins of the Old One's webway, stretched and tattered as they are. He does not see detail. The Illuminor is not yet a true deity, after all. Still, he receives impressions, hues, and subtle spectra and data aurora that reveal precious information. The Illuminor suspects that any other sentient race in the galaxy would burn worlds for such wisdom. Ceres sees the empiric cascade as it rages across the heart of the galactic sprawl. Advanced imperio-predictive modeling suggests constantly fluctuating probability patterns, positing likelihoods of which warp storms may wax and which may wane. Ceres reads fluctuations hinting at new channels preparing to open at existing routes that may suddenly and violently close. All of this is frustratingly theoretical, of course. The very inconsistency of the energistic infinity is anathema to the coldly logical analysis of the Necron engines. For every probability, there is a counter-conclusion, a contra-model overlaying the more likely predictions with fractal modulations. The information is far from useless, but it is deeply unstable and thus, to Ceres' mind, untrustworthy. 
The only constants are the slowly expanding zones of empiric outflow and immaterian radiation spreading ever further outward to permeate the matter of real space. An infinitesimally complex overlay of shimmering lights reveals to Ceres that psychic mutation runs ever more rampant through the malleable biological forms of many lesser races, humanity foremost amongst them. Still they reach out from aeons lost to dust, thinks Ceres. Still their refusal to accept defeat imperils us all. Just as Orokin foresaw. The Illuminor is above such base emotional responses as jealousy or bitterness. Still, the mere thought of the Diviner is enough to disrupt his synaptic equilibrium. The information vista in his mind fractures, it unravels, and is lost. Ceres steps back, perturbed, though whether at himself, at the thought of Orokin, or indeed at the wider galactic situation, he cannot say. Nor does it matter. He has learned what he needed to from this latest glimpse through the planner observatory. There is no alternative to his patron's schemes that Ceres can see, nor any unforeseen factors that lie outside of the Illuminor's own tolerance models. It is time that he attended to the contra-empiric matrix. Down his body carries him, through chambers and shimmering particle translocators, he clatters through vivisectore where specimens scream and writhe within the grip of molecular dissemblers. They emit piteous moans as their hides are flayed away, their limbs and nervous systems splayed carefully and meticulously sampled by canoptic triurgia. Here, a head lives on, sustained for a time without its body, there, a skeletal structure twitches as the nerves still threaded across it contract with impossible levels of agony. Ceres's partitioned mind makes note as he passes particularly promising dissection subjects. Arc form. Promising musculature adaptation. Old. So old and long forgotten. Human form. Again, Inexplicable cerebral resistance to counter-mutative measures. Intriguing. Herd form. Vexing temporal entropy detrimental to disassembler amateurs. Troublesome. At last, Ceres steps through a dimensional ingress and emerges into the stellar repository. He pauses permitting himself a moment to bask in the magnificence of what he has wrought. The repository is spherical, so vast a tomb ship could comfortably dock within. Its inner surface seethes with complex machineries, many of Ceres's own design, that shimmer with energy and ripple with emerald glyphs. Figures move amongst them, hunched, Cryptics and drifting canoptic constructs tread what are, to Ceres's perspective, the walls, ceiling, and floor of the immense space thanks to its centripetal gravitic compellers. Between them all, hanging at the chamber's heart and maintaining a constant planar alignment no matter where one stands around the repository's edge, is a magnificent map of the contra-empiric matrix.
At its center hangs the blazing orb of the confluence sphere, its brilliance filtered by the living metal cage that has grown to encompass it. Radiating out from the sphere like the arms of some primitive oceanic predator are skeins of energy that interlace through multiple dimensions. Each enfolds smaller yet still brightly blazing orbs of fire and the spheres that orbit around them. The energy skeins ripple and flow. They are glowing like a living thing, forming an interlocking web that connects via non-Euclidean linkages and entraps dozens of lesser nodes. This is a map formed from mirroring particulates entangled on a quantum level with their equivalent megastructures in real space. Put simply, it is a massively miniaturized version of his patron's contra-empiric matrix that changes and reacts in real time to reflect what is occurring across this entire region of space. As the matrix expands through its nodal pylons, so the map expands to show this. As worlds and systems fall under the shrouding influence of the matrix, so the captured data flows in glyph form across the repository's sensor displays and into its retention matrices. Cyrus tears himself away from his admiration of the repository's grandeur. A deputation of figures is approaching along an observation spar. He notes several senior cryptics, the drifting form of Amonthek, the dissolutor, draped in diaphanous skeins of plasmic energy. Kothatar of the endless eyes, borne upon a chittering carpet of canoptic scarabs. Hasmathept, the veiled, whose quick silver tendrils roil about her in constant motion. At their head, souring the Illuminor's mood by his mere presence, Athmandius, the infinite doorway. The ancient techno-mandrite staff clunks against the ground with every stride. His obdurate metal visage radiates blunt power and purpose while his triad of islands is burned with amethyst fire. The Illuminor graces us with a rare visitation, says Athmandius, the flat wave amplitude of his vocalization communicating thinly veiled distaste. Ceres, who towers over these lesser technothaumaturges, has no interest in being baited. That Athmandius engages in all too organic exchanges of insults and posturing is but one of the many reasons Ceres dislikes the ancient Necron. Discarding the technomandrite's comment as superfluous, he instead addresses the other three cryptics of the conclave. Illuminate the purpose of your approach. Hazmathep the Veiled offers a non-vocalized flurry of synchro-pulse information, visual confirmation of your presence, query regards wishes of the patron, supplementary informational report, gesture of proper respect. Ceres doubts greatly that Athmandius the Infinite Doorway intends any respect by troubling him in person like this. His suspicions are confirmed by the cryptic's next vocalization. You force progress at an excessive pace, Illuminor. The empiric dissonance triggered by the manifestation of the cascade chain through the energistic infinity is reducing. 
The rapid expansion of our contra-empiric matrix leads to ever greater degrees of disruption amongst the lesser races along its borders. This effort should have been so gradual as to be imperceptible to the short-lived vermin. Instead, you choose haste, and in doing so surely alert them to our efforts. Ever cautious, ever conservative, thinks Ceres, peering down at the blunt, scold tachomandrite and wondering whether his mind would yield anything useful under vivisection. The Illuminor feels it is doubtful. Again, he ignores Athmandius's words. Display secondary informational strata. Ceres commands. He could bring the information up at a whim, and they know it. Still, Kothutar hastens to access a nearby terminal node and inputs the sequence of glyphs that will provide Ceres with the information he requests. Before them, the map shimmers as multifaceted skeins of additional detail manifest. The Illuminor sees designators for the lesser races of this region differentiated by species and subcategory. Those beyond the intersectorphyric boundary of the matrix pulse with vitality. Others, recently subsumed and still barely within its fringes, stutter and glow more weakly. The glyphs designating sentient species towards the matrix's heart are cold and gray, appearing as stone carvings hanging inert within the weave of the map. Other glyphs, vast numbers of them, teem across the map. They swarm in the void and gather around major worlds. These glyphs bear the heraldic designs and coloration of numerous Necron dynasties. Some are minor, some very powerful, but all, Ceres knows, have accepted the mastery of his patron. All do that being's will. Coiling around the map's edges from infolooms and crystalline analytic actualizers come secondary glyph streams of esoteric data. Empiric activity dropping within predicted parameters, Ceres thinks, studying the information with a sense of satisfaction. Energy drain is vast, yet our capabilities remain infinitely higher. The fashioning of new dolmen gates proceeds apace. Also, out loud, he says, I am pleased. Our patron will be pleased. I will go now and make my report to... Ceres's words cut off mid-flow as amber glyphs swirl in spirals around one edge of the map display. In the same instant, an alert imperative rolls through his cerebrum like a tolling bell. The Illuminor does not assert his authority this time. With swift efficiency, he manipulates the map that he has fashioned, partitioning segments aside and drawing forward the quadrant from which the alert glyphs are pulsing. There, he thinks, something new. Sure enough, a fresh collection of glyphs can be observed amongst the confusion of life signifiers and prospective nodal worlds beyond the boundary. Cirrus's single eye lens flicks back and forth rapidly. He tracks blossoming empiric signatures that herald further glyphs that join the gathering swarm. Human form, prodigious militaristic disposition, he says aloud. Athmandius's staff 
cracks hard against the floor of the observation spar. Thus I am rendered prophetic, one whose gaze pierces the veil of causality itself, he says, quoting one of Orokin the Diviner's more famous boasts. He must know this will irritate Ceres. Would that my words were not so immediately and fortuitously proven correct. How then shall our patron react to this unfortunate development, do you think? At last, Ceres deigns to turn his gaze upon the old technomandrite and entangle in dataspheric communion. Athmandius's posture stiffens and his shoulders hunch. The fire in his eyes gutters, becomes wary. In this moment, Ceres permits Athmandius to experience his own reactions. The Illuminor shares his excitement, his anticipation, and his sense of mounting triumph. And the sensations cow the Technomandrite, for they are not what he expects. Proceed upon the projected course, Ceres vocalizes. Know that this is precisely as both myself and the patron intend. The next phase of testing for the contra-empiric matrix will now commence. With that, Ceres turns his back upon his inferiors and makes for the nearby translocation gate. He is a great deal to attend to before the imperial interlopers cross the introsectopheric boundary. He wishes to be in position to observe the effects of his matrix uninterrupted when they do so. This is only the beginning, he thinks. I spent the last 20 minutes saying how much I dislike this story, and I don't think you need 20 minutes of that, so I deleted it, and I'm going to try it again. Let me just see if I can get to my point within five minutes. So this story, before we even get into the opening words, like all the stories, has a little bit of an intro. The intro to this one is this. I'm going to read it right now. At last, the architect of the Imperium's recent woes is revealed, or one of them at least. The strange malady that has befallen planets and vessels alike is part of a plan being enacted by Illuminor Ceres of the Necrons. But he isn't working alone, and the grand scheme has only just begun. Prepare to discover a terrible truth in the final tale from the Psychic Awakening. Okay, so the reason I bashed this for 20 minutes is because, well, it's, it's a number of things, so I'm just going to go through it real quick. First off, there's no terrible truth revealed in this. We don't have, what, what terrible truth? That Illuminor Ceres has something to do with the Psychic Awakening? What? He's looking at a map, Okay. I, I don't I don't know what what were what truth that was that that the Necrons are allied with a patron who cares we don't even know what that patron is is it a, is it a god is is it corn is it Slanesh is it Nurgle who who why why does that matter to us who cares we don't know who that is or what it is it's just a patron you could just say the being with power okay that that, that means nothing to us my biggest problem with the story is how belabored and how many words are used to say almost nothing this story is 2400 plus words 24 2470 some, something like that and we see Ceres go and go start in a place go over to a little alcove 
look at a portion of the galaxy, and then go into a big room and have a conversation with some of his pals. That's it. That's not a story. It's a scene. There's no story here. And this is the final tale of the psychic awakening. Usually you want to go out on kind of a bang, especially if this has been a year-long thing that you've been doing. This was not good on almost any level. There are so many issues that I have with this story. But like I said, I'm going to try and keep it short and sweet. My biggest issue is that there is no story here. It's a scene. Almost nothing happens. The next problem that I have is that in the very first paragraph, we see, beginning right with the word one, one segment of his android cerebellum absorbs the information with what he knows is lightning speed compared to the cogitational abilities of the creatures he is studying. Okay, there is nothing fast about this story. In 2,400 words, like I said, he goes into three places and does almost nothing. He looks at a, a piece of the galaxy, has a little chat, and that's it. But why do we need 2,400 words for that? You could do all of that in a paragraph if you really wanted to rush it. You could do it in two paragraphs if you wanted to take a little bit more time. Three paragraphs, a paragraph per room, that's plenty. That's plenty. But nothing happens. This isn't a story. We don't, there's no terrible truth that's revealed unless I just completely missed it in the two times that I read this. Um, Reading this aloud, I don't know what it was like listening for you, but reading it aloud was like chewing chalk, just like taking a giant piece of chalk that you might see a kid using out on the sidewalk and just just chewing it. It was exceptionally difficult to follow the language that is used. I get it. I assume Andy Clark is doing this to make it sound ancient and super smart and, oh, it's it's Necron, so it's all data and the processes and then matrices. I get it. But that doesn't help your reader get into the story. The other huge problem that I have with this is that down, oh, it's about midway through right here. It says, just as Orkin foresaw, the Illuminator is just uh, is above such base emotion responses. But then this ancient mind that is so, I mean, just we've, we've spent paragraphs reading about how smart and how advanced he is. Sarah steps back, perturbed. The weather at himself at the thought of Orokin, or indeed at the wider galactic situation, he cannot say. So he's so smart, but he doesn't even know why he's bothered? Really? That that doesn't that doesn't make any sense. It's like saying Superman was strong enough to lift the entire city of New York, but he struggled picking the gumball off the ground. Why why? Why 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 couldn't he pick up the gumball? Be- because he he just couldn't. What? It, it doesn't make sense. If you're this towering intellect that is so intelligent and able to do, uh, contain, hold scientific problems that have just made mankind flounder and, and try and figure out how com- they're just unable to, to figure out how complex it is, they can't even wrap their heads around it, and he's able to do that while holding philosophical conundrums that have, have baffled entire planetary cultures. He's getting to all that and go to war, but he can't figure out why he's bugged. I, I, what? It doesn't make any sense. I, I don't really have anything good to say about this story. I, I, there, there are typos in it. There's one por- portion here. It's in the third paragraph or fourth down here yet now i am more greater he thinks that should have been italicized where's the where's the quality assurance on this stuff 
where's the proofreading? Where, where, what, what's going on? This is your final story. And you go out with a, just kind of this, it's like a wet noodle being thrown across the room. Just kind of, right? just, yeah, this is, this is a bummer. Um, last week's story was so good in comparison I mean, last week there was a story. Something happened. We 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 knew what the characters wanted. They wanted to get information to figure out what was on that ship, and then they they do, and then it ends in a tragic way. But this this isn't a story. It's a scene, and it's a scene that I didn't care to to witness at all. So I don't really care to talk about it too much more. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry that this was such a a a. a, a a poor one and and i i wish i had some positive things to say the only positive thing that i can think of to say about this entire story is way down at the end it's when saris is talking with his his pals there um hasmatep the the veiled offers a non-vocalized flurry of synchro pulse information visual confirmation of your presence query regards wishes of the patron supplementary information report gesture of proper respect so all of that is just visual confirmation of your presence five words is being used to instead of uh saying hasmatep nodded acknowledging the presence of 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 the the senior officer blah 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 whatever that's that's good that trick that should have been used way more especially when these are machines and they're able to just pass information from their minds to each other however that works with the necrons but that's used once in this entire story that should have been used and utilized left and right here. I so that was a neat trick. I dug. I, I thought that was cool, and I like that. But beyond that, I have basically nothing positive to say about this. This felt like the the end scene where Neo in, in the second Matrix, where Neo is talking to the architect. It's just it was that scene drug out and made into a, a 20 minute thing as opposed to five or whatever it is in the movie like it's just so unnecessary so on that horribly depressing note um i'm gonna call this one good yeah i'm i'm excited for the new changes and what's happening with ninth edition and all that but but this this was a a real real bummer of a way to 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 leave off with the psychic awakening Okay, hope you have a great day, and I hope you find some more interesting stories to to listen to and read. If you want more stories, check out the stuff that I've been posting. Those are as much stories as this was, and oftentimes in a tenth of the amount of time. (laughs) Okay, bye.